Disruptive CEO Nation is the place where young entrepreneurs and company founders tell it like it is when it comes to their journey, vision, technology, culture, and whatever they feel like. Your host, Allison K. Summers, believes how you choose to play the world is completely up to you, and her guests prove it. Now let's get disruptive. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Disruptive CEO Nation. Our guest today has been quoted as saying, being an entrepreneur is like getting an MBA every day. And then I, I absolutely love this quote that he also added, managing talent and operations is an ever-evolving beast. So I am looking forward to great things talking about this, about talent and operations. And so I would love to welcome Raul to the show. Raul, welcome. Thank you, Alison. Thanks for having me. So give us an introduction. Tell everybody who you are and what you do. Sure. So my name is Rahul Kashik. I, uh, I run a company called GoCom here in Zurich, Switzerland. It's, it's one of the corporate ventures and one of the largest uh, private banks here in Switzerland. And our mission is to consolidate uh, all the finance, uh, financial assets of every user into one single platform. So the grand vision is to put a CFO in everybody's pocket. I love that. A CFO in everybody's pocket. And particularly for those of us that are entrepreneurs or, or manage and, and own and run businesses, it's sometimes, well, it's not only about managing my business financials, it's managing my personal financials. It's just all of those financial things in, in general. So I want to come back to Gokong. But first, can you share a little bit with us about your background and when you decided to first call yourself an entrepreneur? Right. That's a good question. An interesting one, too, because for me, it was a forced choice, actually. So I started my career in private equity. Uh, then I moved on uh, to being a trader for a long, long time. I got bored of that. And so after that, I decided I was going to go study math, uh, which I did in Toronto. I'm actually a Canadian. Uh, then I got a scholarship to go to Princeton or come to here to ETH Zurich. I decided to come here. And exactly when I started my master's, credit crisis hit. Um, plus, I met a girl, we got married, so I started doing my PhD here at here Zurich, uh, published a few papers, which now are part of most central banks on the planet, which has to do with financial systemic risk of uh, financial institutions. And then we discovered we're going to have a son very soon, so I actually had to look for a job. Uh, but my past and what I had been doing didn't actually match, so I really had no luck looking for finding a job, rather. Uh, so we started a company with a colleague of mine and uh, we were a two-person company so that's how the old entrepreneurship uh, journey started and I was really convinced <laughs> that I'm not an entrepreneur yet but we just had a very very exhaustive journey I would say which lasted about two years 10 months that we finally exited that business and then after that I've been uh, building other companies investing in other companies across Asia and here in Europe and now I'm at GoCong. I think somewhere along the line I started calling myself an entrepreneur. <laughs> well, and I, I love that because people, no matter what they do in business, you can consider yourself an entrepreneur or you consider yourself an entrepreneur. But the fact of the matter is, is we all need to be innovators and, and thinking about what's next. So tell us a little bit more about GoKong and your team. Right. How do you run that business today? So Gokong actually came about because of a very specific need. I mean, like you mentioned, there is this complexity that sort of creeps up uh, you know, as a family grows, as your businesses grow, as your relationships grow. And in Switzerland in particular, the problem we have is that data is somewhat treated as if, it's, as if it belongs to the financial institutes and, and a person is unable to actually put everything together. 
So I'll give you an example. So my wife loves shopping. And so we said, okay, well, we're going to have a budget on the shopping. And uh, we set a particular limit. End of the month, we sort of compared notes. And uh, it turned out she stuck with the number on her account. But when we looked at it jointly, we were two times over the thing. So the idea was to actually consolidate everything so you can actually get a good sense of where you really are. And so that's where, that's where the true you know, roots of where Gopong actually is, comes from. How we run the business now is first we actually had to develop an MVP and we did that actually first by asking people because I had this pain point and I thought, okay, well, maybe I'm just the only one, but we actually went and talked to quite a few people about 1,100 people first and then we started developing this concept and idea. And now we're at a point where people actually love it, they actually want it. And um, so now we're slowly starting to build it out into something that's a bit more actionable as opposed to just something that where you can consolidate stuff. And, you know, I, I like the point that you talked about, you had this idea, but you went out and you asked people, mm-hmm. it, was there a timeline or a phase? Because one of the things that we hear about entrepreneurs is they can get so excited about their own idea mm-hmm. and want to push their own idea through without doing a lot of checking around, is there going to be a market demand? Is this going to solve the right problems? How, how long did it take you to, to kind of go so through lesson- or did that process evolve? What I actually learned from my first startup was that I actually think failure is a when question as opposed to an if question. Uh, so I expect it every single day when I wake up, I expect to fail, but I try my damn hardest to make sure that I don't. So when I had this idea, I thought, yeah, that's a bad idea. Um, and I went and asked people first, just among family and friends, what they thought about it. But then over time, it seemed that it sort of gained traction. And then, then we went, we made the scope of our questions bigger and this, in the kind of people we actually address bigger and bigger. And while we were doing that, besides the fact that we actually had the original idea validated, we also learned a few things about what actually people wanted. So that really gave us a very clear idea of what an MVP should look like. Uh, and that's, I suppose, uh, how we came about it. I would assume then if you've, if you've done that homework mm-hmm. that you can go about it with a lot more confidence when you're ready to get investors or, or go to market or have a clear vision for the team that's cool. working for you. I encourage our listeners to go to Gokong and I would never tie the word finances and home together, but I, <laughs> but I love this mission of helping people be in control of their money. Um, Tell us about the technology that it takes to run this platform, because when you're running a business, particularly Mm -hmm. that has so much data sensitivity as what you're running, what concerns you the most about the technology? Well, off the bat, one of the first things, so I think we take a very different view on, on data and data security. I think the view we take is more about data trust rather. I'm not of the opinion, and I, and I would be surprised if anybody who's seriously actually done any data security to claim that, you know, there is no way to hack anything. Sure, there are. And I think the way we take is more about data trust. And so given that framework, we really try our utmost best to make sure everything is anonymized, everything is settled in that particular way. But having said that, uh, obviously, one of the concerns that we have is that our technology currently runs on the device itself. We're not actually initiating any of these uh, so-called aggregations that we do algorithmically from a cloud. This actually happens from the device itself. And sometimes it is a bit difficult for us because, you know, someone's in a train, they have an edge network, someone's in a 5G or something like that. So, so the experiences have to be consistent across all those networks. And that's something that, that we put a lot of time and effort into. 
Yeah, the, the data trust and, you know, being sure that it's running uh, correctly, that is tough. If, if we looked at, and I don't know if you can answer this on the spot, mm-hmm. but if we looked at, say, your revenue generation and then your, your, your operating spend, mm-hmm. um, how much of your operating spend goes into the technology? Well, a significant amount actually went into it in the beginning because we spent a lot of time and effort into making sure we got that right. But we've now done it in a way that it's, uh, it's, it's marginal as we go ahead. Majority of the stuff that had to be done has already been done. Uh, going forward, uh, the contribution of, you know, the amount of money we're going to have to take aside for the cost of actually hosting 10,000 extra users is, is not significant. Yeah, that's just, yeah, storage d- data space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about your actual team, the people that are delivering this product on a, on a daily basis. Right. Um, how big is your team for this project now, today, now that it's, it's running, not in the startup mode, but keeping it going? <laughs> so we, we obviously uh, started out with a few contractors and we still actually have a few of them, but in total our headcount is about 10 people. And I say about because we also hire an intern. And um, so that's more or less the way we have it set up. We have back-end developers, we have front-end developers. Uh, by front-end, I mean iOS and Android. Um, then we have marketing people, um, an intern, um, project manager, a CTO, uh, an interim CTO rather. So that's more or less how it is. Uh, and now we're hiring more people, uh, more like a full-time uh, a data scientist, uh, which is actually a person who's from Chicago. <laughs> Surprisingly, <laughs> no, not not surprisingly at all. From Chicago, we've got we've yeah. got a wonderful uh, tech market here in Chicago. What would you say is the culture then when bringing people on? I mean, obviously you have a very sophisticated product, but mm-hmm. but what's the what's the culture? How do you keep everybody engaged and and happy? I think one of the first fundamental things that we really have to I really have to worry about is how do we actually do this? So I'm the first guy in, for example, and I say, okay, well, I'm going to hire engineers first. And then I'm going to hire somebody senior and then finally we're going to get the CTO. Or I say, let's get the CTO in and then he gets to hire his team. And those are two distinct ways of doing things. And this time around, I actually went for uh, the latter one where we actually hire the CTO first and then everything gets built around that. Uh, but when we actually start doing that, one of the things that we have, which is, very, which is quite common in, in, in our company at GoKong, is that I've introduced the idea of a voting mechanism. But it turns out that the voting mechanism is not equal for everybody. So, for example, if you're hiring a techie, uh, everybody gets to vote. But my vote uh, does not count for as much as that of the CTOs, for example, because my domain knowledge in technology is far less as compared to his. So it's a, what you call a believability-weighted criteria of sorts. So that's, that's how an interesting have... concept. What, what are they voting on? So, for example, you know, if we have um, um, a particular candidate who's, for example, applying for an engineering role. So when we talk about engineering skills, that's one thing. But when we're talking about how he actually communicates an engineering idea to the rest of the team, so those, those are the things we want to talk about. Does he actually communicate technical ideas well to the marketing team so that the marketing team sort of understands what he's talking about? Uh, so then they actually vote on it. Uh, but a person who's in marketing oftentimes doesn't actually understand if the idea was correct because, you know, you don't understand the techniques. So in that particular case, we sort of talk about, is this guy trustworthy? Does he communicate well? Uh, does he take feedback well? And then we vote accordingly. So everybody then gets a weight and then we get an overall rating, one out of five, to figure out if the candidate is somebody good or not. 
And our cutoff is four out of five. So any candidate less than four, we don't hire. And then do you feel that because everybody was uh, collaborative in the process that they're mm -hmm. immediately welcoming to the new team member? Exactly, exactly. Because they all, they all feel that they actually had a stake in the process. And that's, I think, very, very important for a company that are as small as ours. Um, one of the biggest mistakes that perhaps I made in the past was to say, okay, well, I sort of have the best overview of what's actually happening. And so I feel responsible for making decisions for people. And I think that's a great idea, but I think the power should actually go back to the people or, or the employees or every single person who's in the company. And I think that's really, really important. And that's um, what we do here. Yeah, really great, great insight. Um, and also a, a strategy I hadn't, I hadn't heard before. Um, I mean, I've heard different different pieces, and and I know one of the differences we talked about with some of the other um, people I, I've interviewed mm -hmm. is when you're hiring more technology people, like you said, engineers and developers, and that it tends to be more of an objective process mm -hmm. than a subjective process, and mm -hmm. and I think some of us that work and live and breathe in industries that can lean towards subjective hiring we really need to move the pendulum to be a little bit more objective right, right, so right. yeah so i appreciate you sharing this you've shared a couple things along the the way of spots that you found that were were challenging mm -hmm. and we like naked lessons we like sharing with our entrepreneurs things that that really it's like oh i don't even you know this was just didn't go well wasn't great. And it can be the smallest of situations. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us that was kind of a learning point from either your other companies that you worked on before this one, um, right. or just advice that you would give for our audience? I think what I actually learned, and I think this is probably the most important thing uh, that I've learned, is actually how to wait. Oftentimes, you know, you've gone for a client call, you've actually had a meeting or something's actually going on, and you come back and have absolutely nothing to do so to say, uh, you can find things to do. But the thing is, you know, your, your mind's always churning and you're always thinking, what if this, what if that, would have, could have, should have. And, and that's really just, you know, a devil's workshop. Um, so you really have to figure out how to actually um, wait properly. And the things that I've discovered and how, how I do that is, is actually sort of understand what actually happened and what I'm making it mean. And that's one of the things that I've learned the hard way. <laughs> uh, and I think that's probably... Uh, the most important advice that I could give anybody is just be present, be present to what's actually happened as opposed to what you think has happened. Ah, good advice. So be present to what has actually happened versus what you think has okay. happened. I think it's also, you know, you can get caught up in your own head and, and depending on and our, our listening audience, depending on what type of entrepreneur you are, if, if you're still in that stage where you're more of a solopreneur, you, you can let those head games really get to you. So I, that is wise words for, for everybody. And, and again, it affects the culture. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I really enjoyed speaking with you. If we came and visited with you again a couple years mm -hmm. down the road, mm -hmm. what would be your vision for either GoKong or for yourself if you said, you know what, GoKong's doing great. I'm yeah. ready to take on something else. What, what would you think that you would be telling us in a couple years? I think I'd like to actually... At some point in time, I'd like to steer Gokong to a place where we actually add a lot of value and responsibility to people's lives. And I think that's something that we would really endeavor to be in, be in about two, three years. Uh, we want to sort of help educate people about their finances that can actually make better decisions. 
And that's where I'd like to be at some point in time, besides the fact of profitability and all that. That's, of course, the case. But I think we would like to have a social impact, you know, for the people that we actually serve. I love that. I absolutely love it. I say, you know, we all know that having control of your finances brings you this degree of, of freedom. Mm-hmm. And, and most people, they either don't have the skills or, as we talked outside of this call, I'm a parent of three kids and I have one son that has a chronic illness. And so as much as you'd like to have your finances in tip top shape, it's tough. So I think that's an admirable social, social mission for your organization and, and that everybody can certainly appreciate and gravitate towards. Raul, it's been fabulous talking with you and listening to your journey and and your stories. If people want to find out more, where should they go or how can they reach you? Well, uh, I think you could just, uh, well, you could write to us. We're on Instagram, we're on Medium, uh, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter. And if you actually chatted with us, uh, most of the messages that we have uh, that come from our platform through messages, I do read them. So (laughs) go ahead and do that. Well, fantastic. So for our listeners, if you liked the content, if something that Raul said resonated with you um, or that you want to find out more, reach out to him. And if you liked the podcast, please comment, share, forward, get the word out. If you think there is another entrepreneur in the tech space focused on innovation that we should be talking to, please write me at connect at allisoncasesummers.com. Until the next time we meet, keep your eye on the future. Thank you, Raul. Thank you, Allison. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>